the church today is witnessing something that really is unbelievable. We're having known heretics appointed, not only as bishops, but as cardinals. We're having the most insane things we've watched when betrayers of life, family, faith, and culture were promoted previously from priest to bishop, bishop to cardinal, and then finally found out after decades of destruction in the church that they not only were destroying the church in terms of heterodoxy, they were actually sexually abusing as well, and then finally kicked out only after that becomes public. What in the world is going on? We've heard for a long time about Freemasonry in the church, seen the book Infiltration by Dr. Taylor Marshall. But you know, it's always been difficult to pin down. Where is the evidence for that? Well, we've got something today that you're going to find it incredible because we've actually got some evidence. There was a cardinal who was tasked by Pope Paul VI to look into these very strange things going on in the church and he came back with an investigation. His name was Cardinal Gagnon. And interestingly, the pro-life movement in Canada has a great connection to Cardinal Gagnon because he was the one that called on the pro-life movement on behalf of Pope John Paul II at the time to go and fight for life at the UN. So with that background knowledge of Cardinal Gagnon, a great friend to the pro-life movement in Canada, we're going to speak with someone who was a close friend of his for all of his life. His name is Father Charles Murr, who just issued a book called Murder in the 33rd Degree. Stay tuned. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Just before we begin, let me tell you that this is LifeSite's 25th anniversary year. On August 17th, we are having an anniversary event in Naples, Florida. Hope you can join us there. It's going to be awesome. Naples, Florida. Go to gala25.lifesitenews.com for more information. Father Charles Murr, great honor to be with you. My honor, sir. My honor and privilege. I mean that sincerely. Father, if you wouldn't mind launching us off with the sign of the cross, that would be awesome. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of God, Father. pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, Father, it's so fascinating to speak with you. If you can tell us a little bit about yourself to start with. I'll try to be brief. There's so much to tell. <laughs> I met, uh, I was in Rome as a lay student. I, I went to study philosophy and I was there from 1971 till 1979, almost to 1980. And it was there that I met uh, Cardinal Gagnon, again, as a lay student myself. He was uh, Bishop Gagnon at that time. He had just been named rector of the Pontifical Canadian College in Rome. Um, and I went on to finish my studies and was called to priesthood in a rather extraordinary way by, by the book. And you'll find out it's, it's no, uh, I'm not going to take up your time right now, but it was, it was an extraordinary way that I was called to priesthood and I was ordained to priest. I was ordained by, by Cardinal 
uh, Cardinal Felice and Cardinal Gagnon. And Cardinal Gagnon preached the, the, the homily at my ordination and first mass in multiple languages for everyone attending. And uh, that's it. Uh, uh, Gagnon and I remained friends uh, for years, uh, all, until his death. And uh, I, I, I absolutely loved this man. He was one of the genuinely good, good people uh, that, that God has blessed me to meet in life. You know, in the church, we have, we have everything, right? We have saints and we have sinners. We understand that. This man was one of the saints, hmm. truly one of the saints. He was, and a great, delicious sense of humor, a, a, a wonderful sense of humor, and loved to sing and to be with people, and uh, so encouraging, encouraging. I've seen him in a lot of difficult situations, and he was always magnificent. I feel great, greatly honored it, honored to have had him as my friend. He's still my friend. I still talk to him. Now, anyway. Father, you have... Oh, yeah, you've talked to him posthumously, though, as in uh, yeah. speaking with him in the afterlife. That's great, through prayer, of course. Yeah. Well, Father, just one other little bit about you, if I may, because people need to understand you're not one of those lofty priests who, I guess in some people's imagination, as in a conservative high hill somewhere, never having messed your hands with the dirty faithful or whatever. You've helped to found orphanages. Uh, you've helped even to rescue priests. Is that not true? A little bit. Yep. I, <laughs> okay. I, you know, it, it, special times re require special, uh, uh, special uh, means. Uh, we're in very strange times. If you would have ever told me that at the beginning of my priesthood that I would be in a position to be looking to help other priests who are in, in dire situations because of their bishops or this, that, and the other thing, I, I simply would have dismissed that completely. No, uh, I, 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 uh, I'm like uh, Pius, the, Pius X. One of the great descriptions of Pius X that I love so much is uh, one of his biographers that I read said, he realized that he was a farmer when he was, when he was elected. And he realized that he needed somebody very intelligent and shrewd to help him, who was Cardinal Ralph Medelval. He said, because Pius X still had dirt under his fingernails. <laughs> I, I, I like that. Yes, we all need some dirt under our fingernails. And I've, I've, I've got plenty. I've, I've had uh, a lot of life experiences, some incredibly difficult and challenging, others magnificently sublime. Uh, everything. Beautiful. There was everything in life. It's good. Anyway, so, Father, one of the things that has gone on in the church is that a lot of people have talked about, because they're trying to make sense now of what's gone on, what's gone on from, really from the 60s, the the sort of abrogation almost of the, of the mass that was for over a thousand years, 1,500 years, the mass of the ages, as they call it. Um, but then also it was the appointments of these very strange priests and bishops who became abusers, who deformed the face of the church, who, but it's ongoing. We, we saw that led up with John Paul II, or at least thought we did. Um, and then we saw with Benedict sort of some reformation of the liturgy back to some language that made more sense. But then came Francis. And now we're dealing with, I think, had I been alive during the 60s, what would have gone on then? 
the appointment of very strange bishops indeed. But now it's sort of like all out in the open. Back then, perhaps it was somewhat more concealed. But just this week, we had the promotion to cardinal of Bishop McElroy from San Diego, who I think anybody who has been watching the scene in the United States knows him to be, layman would say even a heretic, a, a guy who was promoting LGBT and a soft stance on abortion. So soft, in fact, he was talking about how they have to equate at the USCCB level, we're talking about elections, poverty, and abortion. So this guy's out there, way out there on the left, and yet he's made cardinal. He's a suffragan bishop to uh, Cardinal Gomez of LA, who isn't a paragon of, of conservatism, but he's passed over so that this radical leftist can be appointed. So, <laughs> a lot of people have thrown around the idea of, gee, is Freemasonry inside the church? What is Freemasonry? Is it in the church? And what evidence do you have of that? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> if you could summarize that, that would be great. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I, I, uh, I, uh, Freemasonry uh, I, and the plots, the idea of, of plottings and a, and a, a complot, we call it in Spanish and Italian. I, it, I, I couldn't buy any of that when I was a young man. I thought this is nonsense. Uh, and I said so. I said so when I was approached uh, many times by serious people on the subject matter of of the Freemasons and their and their their horrible uh, disdain, their hatred of, of the Catholic Church and of Catholic principles. Uh, yes, I know they didn't like Catholic principles and everything else, but they were nice people. That we we went as children to the Shrine Circus, and the Shriners did a lot of good work with children and everything else. Eh. And I'm looking at this through an American perspective. This is not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're not talking about funny little men with fezes running around a little in clown cars. This is not it. This is Freemasonry as it was founded in Europe in, uh, uh, my goodness, what was it, 1717. Uh, and it was, it was founded to attack and destroy Catholicism. It's one of its principal reasons. And European Freemasonry is not, is not like American Freemasonry. It's just not. It's not. It's very. It's a. It's a different animal. Um, at, at any rate, in 1974, two cardinals of the Catholic Church, great men, outstanding men, uh, Cardinal Staffa, Dino Staffa, and Cardinal uh, uh, Silvio Odi. I, I knew Odi rather well, a, a great man. These, he, this man was like a locomotive. Just, there was no stopping him, right? These two men, and, and Cardinal Staffa, I should just say this, Cardinal Staffa was head of the Supreme Court of the Catholic Church. That was the position that Cardinal Burke had until uh, Papa Bergoglio decided that uh, uh, that wasn't uh, pleasing to him. Anyway, uh, this man, as head of the, of, of the Supreme Court of the Catholic Church, was in a supreme position to understand things. He and Odi 
it was given to him documents against a man in the Roman Curia, a very powerful man in the Roman Curia, who was uh, uh, Annibal uh, Bonini, or as, as, as uh, Monsignor Schuler, my pastor in St. Paul, Minnesota, Richard Schuler, God rest him, used to say Bugnini. You would call him Bugnini. Anyway, Bugnini. Uh, and then the evidence was quite apparent, evident, that he was a member of the Freemasonry, of, of Italian Freemasonry. You'll re just, just to give your, your, your listeners a little bit of an idea, it was Freemasonry that brought down the Papal States. It was Freemasonry that brought about the, the, the uh, unification of Italy. At, at, it didn't matter who they killed, what they did uh, to get this done. Freemasonry that had a great role, played a great role in the French Revolution. Freemasonry that had a, a play that played a great role also in the American Revolution. I mean, it's, this, is, this is true. Um, there was evidence of this bishop belonging to, being, being a member of, of the Freemasons. Why is that important? It's, well, first of all, as I say, it's not like belonging to the Lions Club or, 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 or the Elks, right? This man was in charge of Catholic liturgy. When there was a promise by the Freemasons, European Freemasons above all, French and Italian, to destroy the Catholic Church, how do you destroy the Catholic Church? That's kind of a big undertaking, huh? To destroy the Catholic Church, I, re I remember. Uh, re I'm reminded of, of 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 a Jesuit priest who was a dear friend of mine, a spiritual my spiritual director for years, Father Rahim, Lebanese Mexican. He and and three two other uh, Jesuits during the Mexican persecution, right after the persecution, were on a train going to Mexico City, and into the car came three or four. Uh, military men and sat right in front of them. And they realized that these were priests. They, they were saying bravery. They couldn't wear a Roman collar because Freemasonic law forbade it in Mexico. It was illegal to wear a Roman collar or any, any a habit or any, any distinction, any distinctive. Anyway, they saw these priests there and one of the, one of the lieutenants said to his men, he said, to egg them on, he said, had we been given just two or three more years, we could have finished all of the Catholic superstition in this country. And of course, they're egging on these, they're, 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 they're bothering these three priests. Father Rahim finally started laughing, giggling. And of course, these people are, are, sense, are humorless. They have no humor. This irritated him very much. He said, you priest, what are you laughing at? He said, he said, he closed his brief and he said, you would have destroyed the church, the Catholic church in two more years of civil war. He said, you from outside would have done that. He said, we from inside haven't been able to do that in 2000, in 2000 years. You're, you just needed two more to do it? All right. But this, the Freemasons took this on as a pledge to destroy the Catholic church. They started with having members of the Roman Curia uh, they infiltrated the church through the Curia, through the Roman Curia, and they had a member whose name was Bunini. This was brought to the attention of the, the, the Supreme Magistrate of the Catholic Church's Supreme Court.
He had it investigated by Interpol, by, by many different sources before he dared take this to the Pope. He saw the, 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 he saw the, uh, the veracity to it and brought it to Pope Paul VI. He did this in 1975. Pope Paul VI, just a couple of years before this, on his own, came to the conclusion that something was wrong with the church. There was something wrong with the direction that the church was taken. And, and John Henry, let me just say this. Pope Paul VI, I believe, was a sincere man. I, I think he was a sincere man. He, he really felt that, that the church needed change. And, and we all believe that the church needed change. God knows the church needs change today. There's nobody who doubts that. So he was open to all of this until he started seeing the direction that it was taking, that he had lost control of it also. He had lost control of that direction. Cardinal Staffa and Cardinal Odi brought the documents to Paul VI himself. And to say that the Pope was concerned was to put it mildly. He asked, Card he asked his Secretary of State, Under Secretary of State Benelli, uh, to do an investigation. Again, another investigation. Benelli did the investigation, found that it was, yes, substantiated. The Pope then, uh, you know that the, the, you know how things go in Rome, you're promoted to be eliminated. You're eliminated, eliminated through promotion, right? Kicked upstairs, as they say. Well, they made, they made uh, Bunini a nuncio to Iran. And I, I mean, Iran is like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not belittling Iran, but I, but I mean, Iran's, Iran's uh, Catholics numbered uh, about 20, 20 to 30,000 in the entire country, like a parish uh, where he could do very little, he couldn't speak the language. He was not a diplomat, so he was just put there. Also, there's another reason for doing this. God knows what all he had on different members of the Curia, Bonini, as far as blackmail and everything else. So you don't want to play hardball with those people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Send them to Iran. Now, this is totally fascinating because who uh, Bonini was. If you could explain for our listeners, who is Bonini? And why is it so significant that he's ID'd as a Freemason? Bonini was in charge, just basic. I'm going to simplify this, especially for, for your audience who are probably already tired of listening to my voice. So I'm gonna make it, I'll make it quick. Yeah, Bonini was in charge of the liturgy, of the liturgical reform. And what he was doing was when people say that uh, our, our present Catholic mass seems more like a Protestant service. Yes, that was Bunini, and he was very proud of that. He was very proud of that. That would not have been an insult to him whatsoever. That's what he, had, that's what he wanted. Uh, Bunini did all sorts of things that anything that he could do to change the liturgy, the Catholic mass, into um, a Protestant service, into a meal, not a sacrifice. Hated the word sacrifice. Get rid of the word sacrifice. Eliminate the offertory. Get, 
Yet all of that idea of associating the mass with the cru with the crucifixion and the and the the, the, sacri the sacrifice of, on Calvary, get rid of that. It's just a big fun meal. This is what the mass is, and it's supposed to unite us all, Protestants, Jews. Well, this is what we ended up with. We ended up with. In, in, let me just put it this way: this was this was the man who was principally responsible for destroying the liturgical sense of the church as being organic. It stopped being organic. He is, he started imposing uh, idea ideologies and ideas into the into the liturgy and the way we pray and the way we believe. And he knew what he was doing. On all of those changes were done to secularize, to secularize, to secularize, to make less religious, less religious, to make you less Catholic and me less Catholic and more like everybody else. Well, to great degree, he was successful. I think he was successful. Unfortunately, I, I, don't, I don't think it's wonderful. I think it's horrid, but he was successful. Uh, Bonini was, was ousted by, by Pope John the 23rd. John the 23rd knew something around what was wrong about with him because he not only took him out of the commission for the liturgy, this is, this is in 1963, 62 yet. John died in, in 63, so it's in 1960. But he forbade him to step foot into the Lateran University where he was uh, teaching. He called, the, he called the rector of the Lateran University, the Pope did, to tell him that Bonini was not to step foot in the university. Out. All of a sudden, Paul VI is elected Pope, and Bonini's back in. Right? There's, a, there's a way of presenting yourself in Rome as a martyr of the, la of the last regime. They didn't understand me. They were unfair to me, this, that, and the other. Come, come, come back. We'll, 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 we'll accommodate you. Yeah, those, those means, you know, that it. Anyway, he got back in and he started all of this, this, I, I would call it the destruction of the, of the Catholic liturgy. And I think a lot of people are seeing that today. Ironically, they're seeing it today more clearly than they ever saw it before. 50 years later, it's, it's, it's clearer today than it was 50 years ago. So that's kind of an amazing thing. But I remember historians saying that when I was studying history, they were saying, we know more today about the ancient Egyptians than, than they knew about themselves. We know more today about this than that, than the people living in those times. We do. And we know more today about what was going on 50 years ago than 50 years ago. Yeah. Right? It's, it's an incredible so thing just as was. a person who didn't live through it to look back and see it and realize, sheesh. I know where I would have been if I was back there, but, but you don't because you're not actually living in it. So, but these are very strange things, but is it only one <clears throat> bishop who in the Vatican, who was part of the Freemasons, sort of officially, the, the, the Italian form of the Freemasons, or were there more that he worked with on the inside? There were more, there were more. Uh, undoubtedly there were more. Uh, let me just let me just say this before we go any further. In 1975, when Pope Paul woke up to this idea that there was something very wrong, something very much wrong with the church, he was going in the wrong direction, and he did this first step to get rid of Bunini. 
uh, uh, people who were not around at that time don't understand how crucial this was, the liturgy and what was happening to the liturgy. Uh, uh, it was amazing. It was very important. When Pope Paul took care of that problem, and he took care of that problem through Giovanni Benelli, his undersecretary of state, because Benelli was on to all of this more than anybody knew. He knew what was going on. When this happened, the Pope said, there's something very wrong. And Benelli, who I knew, not extremely well, but I knew him, had dinner with him uh, and was in his company a couple of times, a few times. Benelli suggested an investigation, a thorough investigation of the Roman Curia. And Pope Paul VI said, yes. Who? Who do we have to do an investigation of the Roman Curia? These are the central offices of the church. And believe me, these are the people who investigate. These are not the people who are investigated. Right? So this went over like a lead balloon, the announcement. This, this did not fly at all. People were very upset by it. Because it was saying it was saying to them that the Pope doesn't have confidence in us, which he didn't, which is the reason he called them for the investigation. And Benelli said, I know one man who is above reproach. He's a canon lawyer, a moralist, a theologian, a humble man. And he's absolutely honest. The Pope said, my God, we have somebody like that? <laughs> No, he didn't say that. That's me. Anyway, the, uh, it was Card it was Edward Gagnon, and so Gagnon was asked by Benelli to to head this investigation. He was called in by the Pope. The Pope bestowed this charge or in charged him with uh, with this study, and he did that. He did that full time for three years, wow. from 1975 until 1978. Uh, at great personal cost to him, hmm. uh, he, he had life. He had uh, threats against his life. Hmm. What were the nature his of those? Room was, uh, people didn't like him investigating them, and people found out this was a time. This was a time when all good men who were in the Vatican Curia felt finally they're able to talk. Finally, they're able to say to say what, what they've been seeing going on for years, finally. Well, they were, and they did. And their superiors knew this. Their superiors knew this. And the superiors, some of those, some of those men who had cause to be very nervous, were nervous. They were very nervous and very upset, very unhappy with the whole thing. And death threats were made against Gagnon. Uh, he was told not to report this, not to report that. His room, his bedroom was ransacked. His office was ransacked, broken into, ransacked. As a matter of fact, in the, the report, the Gagnon report, was stolen from the safe of the, of the, in the, of the congregation for the clergy in the Vatican, stolen from, from that. The, the safe was broken into to steal the report. So there was a lot going on. At this point, Gagnon moved into a residence with Monsignor Mario Marini, who was a dear friend of his, and with me. So the three of us were together in, in a safe spot. 
And I will not get into why it was safe. You know why it was safe uh, because of Monsignor Capucci living down the hall. But it, believe me, there was not a safer place in the world to be living than, than, than with us. We had three bands of military people outside uh, protecting Monsignor Capucci and, and watching him and everything else. So it worked out well. Cardinal Gagnon worked for three years on this investigation. There was there was a there was a a, a joke in, in in Rome. It was common among the curry. They said that Gagnon knew more than the Holy Ghost. <laughs> he knew what was going on very any very well. And Gagnon was gradually getting angrier and angrier and angrier. I I, I, I saw it. I saw it. The more the more that came out, the filth. That's the word he used too. The filth. Uh, again, just for your viewers' sake and, and for yours, don't forget, uh, as, I, as I used to tell the, the Carmelite sisters, I gave uh, many retreats to Carmelite nuns, and I said, in every Carmelite convent, there are saints and there are saint makers. <laughs> right? You got to remember, and, and each of us have, has a little bit of each, uh, of each in us, right? Well, in the Vatican also, there were scoundrels. There still are, and very much so. There are also saints. Believe me, there are saints. There are men who are priests and monsignors and bishops who are absolutely dedicated to doing what is right and can't. Their hands are tied, and they're under obedience to continue. It's very frustrating for a lot of these people, but there are saints. There is good there also, right? There's a tremendous battle between good and evil. Here's what happened too. During the investigation, it was proven, again, proven with documentation. I'm not talking about he said, she said, I said, you said. This was documented, all of this. And, and Archbishop Gagnon would not have accepted anything uh, on, on basis of rumor. He, he had no time for that. Everything was documented and anything that was documented had to be proven again, tested. But it, came, it became very clear that the head of the congregation for bishops, who was Cardinal uh, Sebastian Baggio, B-A-G-G-I-O, was also a Freemason. There was, there was no question of it, no question of it. Now, why is that important? Well, first of all, you've got Bunini, who's in charge of the liturgy, who's changing the entire liturgy. By no accident, the liturgy is being changed along Freemasonic lines, philosophical lines. You know, the, the, the brotherhood, fraternity, liberty, all of this, this is exactly what Freemasonry is. That's the way our liturgy is going, through Bunini. Our bishops, on the other hand, are being named by an by a Freemason. Let me let me let me just stop for a moment and let me say that again. Our bishops from 1972 until 1984 were being named worldwide by a Freemason. That's incredible, and that will actually give us the understanding of why we had. Uh, bishops like McCarrick, like Mahoney in, in the United States and all over the world. We've had this kind of insanity for a long time. What were those dates again? 
1972, he was, uh, was appointed to the Congregation for Bishops in 1972 and resigned finally, finally, uh, that's another story, in 1984. Cardinal Gagnon, uh, you, you, the book is interesting, and I, and it's interesting not because I want to sell books, all right? And it, it, I, it's just interesting because I wanted to get something out, something established uh, before I die, before I go to God, before I see Gagnon again and all of the other saints, all right? I, wa I want to see Gagnon's face say, yeah, you did well, you did well. These things have to be known. They have to be known. When you When you have somebody like this, creating the world's bishops. Are you surprised? Are you surprised that we are where we are? Are you surprised? How can you be surprised? It, it makes total sense. Uh, and also something else happened that, that, that shouldn't be discounted. Do you remember that in 19, I believe it was 66, Pope Paul called for the resignation of all bishops over the age of 75. Well, all of a sudden, there's this slew, this huge body of, of remaking bishops. The man in charge was Cardinal Baggio. Right? And, he made, and he made sure that these people were positioned correctly. He also made sure, he also made sure that bishops who would become archbishops in places who would then become cardinals were of his liking. Very much so, because they would be the next voters in the next conclave. Father, I have to ask you something that's very strange. I know <clears throat> that you're not talking much about Pope Paul VI himself, because in a lot of ways, he seems like a precursor to a Pope Francis. He was responsible for Second Vatican Council to a large extent anyway. He was responsible for a lot of what went on under him. Yes, it might have been because of these other folks who were doing it, but he still had to give it his stamp of approval. In fact, he and he's largely known today, people remember him fancifully for Humani Vitae, which was great, I mean, in, in that it upheld the church's teaching. But Pope Paul VI was the very one who and, and this is particularly why you might say he's like Pope Francis. When the priests rejected Humana Vitae, and, and, and famously in, in Washington, we had this case where the cardinal, his name escapes me right now. Boyle. Boyle. Boyle corrected, properly so, his priests for publicly going against the Pope's encyclical on teaching contraception. And then the Pope, I think, personally intervened with Cardinal Boyle to force him to publicly change his stance and, and, and basically allow those priests to do, I don't know what, to, to not be suspended and of, do whatever they wanted. You're, you're, you're hitting it right on target. You're right on target. And that's why I use that example, that particular one, to pinpoint the beginning of the end. If you want to start, if you want to find out where it really began, was it exactly at that point? There were six priests, if I'm not mistaken. I may be off on my numbers. I'm getting old. I told you it's one of the reasons I wrote a book. Right? Anyway, uh, there were six priests 
who were protesting Humanae Vitae, if you will, before Humanae Vitae was published. Imagine the audacity, eh? protesting it. The Cardinal of Washington, D.C. suspended the six priests. They could no longer say public mass. They could no longer hear confessions. This, this, is, this is unbelievable, but this is what happened. And this, I think, describes the psychology of Montini, the, the psychology of Paul VI very well. When the Pope found out about it, he picked up the phone and called the Cardinal of Washington and asked him as a personal favor to the Holy Father to reinstate those priests and, if you will, to apologize to them for this misunderstanding. That was it. It was finished. That was it. It was finished. The floodgates were open. That was it. Again, I think Paul VI, I think he really believed that everything could be done with charity and with love and with patience. And well, no, it can't be. Not when you're dealing with people who are who are bad people. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Who are these are not good people. You're not <laughs> what was the great the great line of Al Capone? He said you can get more done with a nice with a kind word and a gun than you can with a kind word alone. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, a little bit of discipline, a little bit of force behind what you were saying, and Paul didn't have that. I think he was authentically worried about offending people. Even when you get to the case of Lefebvre, of Bishop Lefebvre, he waited, he almost waited for, there was another priest, I can't remember his name, he's not important to me anyway, it was a Benedictine, the, the abbot of, uh, of San Pablo, uh, Lemura. Uh the, the abbot of St. Paul outside the wall had, had made some insane uh, uh, declarations of something. So he suspended Lefebvre Le, Le, Le as he suspended the, 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 the guy on the left, the right and the left. He had to have, he had to have these, these, these two to balance. In a word, and I, I say it with all respect, and I don't doubt that Paul the same is in heaven. I don't doubt that at all. I, 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 I am not. I do not approve of of the way he was uh, uh, made a saint and the reasons for which he was made a saint, which were which didn't have a lot to do with sanctity. I don't think that had to do with the political reasons for the for the per, for the present pontificate. Uh, however, uh, if I would define him in in just one word, weak, weak. Weak when you needed a man who was very strong. He was very weak. After Humane Vitae, which we applaud because it's correct. It's correct. And the reason, one of the reasons we know it's correct is because it's so hated. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the reasons that I know that, that the direction the pontificate is going today is not correct because it's so loved by the world. The world will applaud you. The world will take you on as one of its own. They will kiss you, love you, hug you embrace you. Uh, that's not the way of Christ Jesus that I know. Uh, the world will hate you. I promise it will hate you. It hated me before it hated you. It will hate you. Right? Anyway, get back to Montini. Uh, there, there was a tremendous weakness. Umane Vitae that he wrote was his last encyclical. Period. All done.
We're not going to do that again. And this was it. This was it. And it was a, it was a, it was a terrible time. It was a terrible time for the church. It was a terrible time in church history. And at the same time, you've got all of these new bishops being created all over the world who were liberals, who were liberal. If a conservative got through, believe me, it was by accident. It was by accident, or it was, or it was to show to show something. But the majority, the vast majority of them were liberals who wanted more and more and more things to change. They, 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 they were ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater, didn't matter. They wanted change. <laughs> this is what happened. Uh, this is very interesting. I, I mean, if we kind of fast forward to now, because we are having something very similar right now, we have a situation where there's liberals, Marxists, whatever they are, being pointed as cardinals, bishops, all over the world. Uh, not so much the bishops. We hear a lot about the cardinals. You hear every once in a while about the bishops. But in terms of the cardinals, we see this happening uh, with McElroy, Bishop, uh, Archbishop Roach being um, made cardinal as well, who really has a dislike for the Latin Mass, which is rather evident. Um, in the time of Paul VI, you said there was Bajo. Um Right now, there's Cardinal Houlette, who doesn't strike as one of the extreme leftists. We've already heard, though, that Pope Francis is sort of skirting, um, you know, Houlette's suggestions. Um, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I, I, I know uh, uh, I know Cardinal Houlette uh, superficially. Uh, he was taught by Gagnon. He was also a very dear friend of Monsignor Marini's. I, I'm sure he's not going to be so happy uh, having me announce that, but he was. Uh, he's a good man with principles. There's no question of that. He's also a man who's looking out. Uh, he'd like to have his head remain on, on, on his neck. So he's very careful what he says, how he says it. But, but he's doing what can be done. What can be done? Nothing can be done. Uh, under a dictatorship, it's it's uh, you get your head up too high against uh, uh, above the crowd and watch what happens. So it'll be lapped off. He's very careful. He's cautious, but he's a man of very good principles. He really is a good man of uh, a man of principle. Under a, under a normal pontificate, he would be magnificent. He really would be very intelligent man, well spoken. We there are people like this. They're still there. They're still there, which gives me certain hope. Also, what gives me certain hope is this, John Henry, and I mean, I share this with you and I share this with your viewers, and I mean this, I mean this sincerely. We are at a point in, in, in the church's history where I think it is, it's sort of like the Gideon situation. <laughs> it's, it's so bad that it's going to take divine intervention to get us out of this. I mean that sincerely, divine intervention. Everything has been done, muddied, dirtied, sullied so much that only an act of God is going to take care of it. Not human politics, not human anything, an act of God. And I'm very pleased to be alive. I'm waiting to see that act of God. I'd love to see it. I've got a front row center seat. I'm waiting. I'm praying for it. You're praying for it. We're all waiting for it. But when it happens, when it happens, it is going to be a colossal manifestation of the will of God and of his love. 
And this is where we're headed right now. It, this is not going to continue. This cannot continue. It cannot continue. We cannot have Marxism guiding the, the, the direction of the church. It is anti-Catholic. It is anti-God. Look, all of the courses you can take, I, I've taken some courses at the Gregorian University in Marxism. We had to study it as, a, as in philosophy. Uh, it, it must be atheistic. It requires atheism because there can be nothing, zero, nothing, not even God higher than the state. Why do you need to study it any further than that to know that there's something very wrong here? Now, if you're going to take that and say, I think this is a viable, uh, uh, a viable a vehicle uh, to, uh, to remedy the problems of the church and the world and the world's problems, Marxism. Well, no, no, it is not. You know what the, you know what the, the real remedy to the world's problems and the church's problems? Jesus Christ. He's the remedy. He Why are we looking elsewhere? Right? <clears throat> anyway, listen, listen, just one last thing, if I may. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's a book that I think you've got to read. All right. This is in Italian. It's in Italian, Spanish, and it's in English. It is about Mother Pasqualina. Right. And that book about Mother Pasqualina is called in English, The Godmother. I'm just going to tell you this. Uh, this uh, she's I, the, the book is called The Godmother, not because she's a mafiosa, right? She was my godmother for my ordination, Mother Pasqualina in Rome, all right? She was my godmother, and she came to my ordination. She uh, gifted me with the with the Sistine Chapel choir as a wow. as a as an ordination gift for first mass. Uh, fantastic woman, and I loved her greatly. Anyway, Mother Pasqualina, I went to go visit her one day, and and this. This book is all stories of Mother Pasqualina and the visits that we had and her interpretation of different things. Very interesting lady. She was 42 years Pius XII's secretary, personal secretary, wow. and lived through a part of history that was phenomenal. But she said, one time I went to go visit her and she said, she said, Don Carlo, she said, you, you know, I just had a visit from, a, from an Austrian couple, very dear people, I've known them for years. And she said, she said, they came in with this, and she pulled out from, from her habit sleeve uh, um, a pamphlet or a pamphlet or a, 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 a flyer or something about, and it was Pope Paul, according to this, had been kidnapped and replaced with, uh, with uh, 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 by an imposter. The Pope, the Pope that was there was, a, was an imposter. They had a before and after picture and it, it was ludicrous. And, I, and I, I looked at her and I said, Mother Pasqualina, you don't believe this. I mean, you don't believe something is, she said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Of course, she said, it's nonsense. And I said, well, what are you showing it to me for? Or what are you so surprised? She said, she said, I just want you to see how everyone is grasping for something to believe, to, to, to explain the insanity of what's happening. They'll even go to they'll even go to the to the extreme that the Pope was kidnapped and an imposter put in his place. That makes more sense to these people than that the church can be in the state that it's in. Right. So all I'm saying to people who to, to your audience, which is a great audience, you've got a you've got an outstanding Catholic audience. They are the hope of the future. You know that uh, the future of the church and of the world. 
yes, these are insane times. Don't look for the explanation over here, over there. Remember what, what Christ said, and then and the final times they'll say, look, he's over here, the Messiah. Look, he's over there. Look here. Don't look anywhere, right? Don't be fooled. There is evil within the church. It's, it's at the heart of the church. It's there. It's looking to do more harm, more harm. Again, I'll end with this. Monsignor Marini, who was to me like the fourth person of the Blessed Trinity. I, I love this man. He was the, he was the, he started uh, the first one named to Ecclesia Day Commission, and he was in the Secretary of State, and he was Benelli's uh, right-hand man. Uh, Monsignor Marini and I were walking down the Lungo Tevere, you know, the Lungo Tevere in Rome, and we walked past a, a group of, of trans, uh, they were called at that time transvestites. <laughs> I think that's I think that's already politically incorrect transvestites, but that's what they were called. A group, maybe four or five of them, men dressed in drag, and they saw when they when Monsignor Marini, who was a priest, Monsignor, in a Roman collar, passed by. They started making catcalls and insults, and I I turned to to him. This is a man who I just I absolutely admired, just tremendous, six uh, three, this virile man from from Ravenna. I said. I said, how can such a thing take place? You ridiculing, screaming at a priest in the shadow of St. Peter's Basilica, right across, it. this is incredible. And he started laughing. He said, that bothers you? That bothers you? I said, well, yes, indeed. He said, he said you take a good look at those four or five men. Hmm? Take a look at them. He turned around. He said, I'm telling you right now, those five men, transvestites, who are lined up to be prostitutes, to be picked up by cars coming by, have a better chance of heaven than many of the people I work with under that dome. Okay. So there is evil. There is evil. And I said, but why would that be? And he said, he said, you're a student of logic. Why? He said, what do you, what do you mean? What, why would it be? Where the presence of God is most apparent, why wouldn't the devil be right next door pitching a tent? Where, where you build a cathedral, where a cathedral is being built, the devil pitches his tent right across the street. And where the vicar of Christ on earth reigns, you can be sure the devil is not far away, not far away at all. The difference is that popes that we've had in the past knew this. And they had their eyes open to this. Uh, recently, they don't know this. Cardinal Gagnon, to end this, presented his investigation, the results of it, to three different popes. I was with him, brought him there, took him back. Uh, when they refused to act, when John Paul II refused to act, Gagnon resigned on the spot. I took him to the airport. He left Rome forever. But before he left Rome, he said to to John Paul II, he said, Holy Father, the Vatican Bank, the Vatican Bank is about to be assaulted. A horrible scandal is brewing for the Vatican Bank to undermine, undermine the, 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 the finances of the entire Roman church. <laughs> he, he paid no attention to it. He did not pay attention to it. Now, for your viewers, who doubt 
that there are Masonic plots going on. All they have to do is look at the Vatican Bank scandal, which was an assault by P, P2, 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 Freemasonic Lodge against the Catholic Church to destroy its finances completely and tumble it, crash it. There are still, they were, they were judged guilty in, in Italian courts, international courts, and are still, I think two of them are still in prison for Freemasonic uh, plot against the church. One was hung, hung himself, or was hung under the Blackfriars Bridge in, 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 uh, uh, in London. And this is incredible. Just look at that. That's, that's not my interpretation of a plot. That was a plot. And it was legally presented as one, and people are still in jail suffering, or suffering the consequences of that, paying the penalties for it. No, there is real evil. And to think that there isn't real evil, if you don't see that there's real evil, you really shouldn't be a Christian. There, there's something wrong with you. Uh, sometimes in, in my, my, my poor upbringing and formation, every once in a while, I found myself in different circumstances in life, almost doubting the existence of God. I, I say that honestly. Uh, th things were so bad and so hard and, and they hit so hard and betrayals and terrible things. But I never doubted the existence of evil. Evil is apparent. So you have to look for God. You have to look a little bit for God. He's not so. He's not cheap. God isn't a cheap love. He costs something. You have. You want to find him? It'll cost you something. When you find him, oh, it's magnificent. It's magnificent. But evil. If you can't see evil, there's something very wrong with your vision. And this is what we're suffering from in the church today. This happened 50 years ago. The reason I'm bringing it up today is because today we're suffering the real consequences of that. We also had John Paul II, a saint of a man. There's no question about it. Good man, well-intentioned, did not take care of business, did not take care of home, didn't clean house. He had the opportunity to do so. He decided 104 trips around the world to bring Christ to the masses was more important. Was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know. Maybe it accomplished a lot of a lot that I can see. I'm, I'm sure it did. I hope it did. But he did not take care of what he was called to take care of, and that was to take care of business. Every time he took a new a new trip, there was applause in the Roman Curia. Yes, yes, he's out again. Go. Hmm. Uh, no. Nobody's been in charge for the longest time, for the longest time, and we're living the consequences of it. And I think one last thing, I keep saying one last thing. I think I've said it now five times, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you know, you, you get me wound up, John Henry. Anyway, here's, here's the thing. One last thing. Uh, no, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Uh, let me be prudent and just not say that. Uh, I think I think something spectacular is going to happen. God has not abandoned his church. He's not abandoned his people. I will say it. Hmm, I think reason, I think that the reason that people that I find pleasure, not not pleasure haha uh, sardonically ah, not that, but I find I find hope in the fact that these people are bothered tremendously by the resurgency 
of the ancient mass. I, I find great hope in that. The more they're upset about it and screaming against it and railing against it and prohibiting and screaming and no and getting it, my God, there is something to this. There is something to this. If they're, if they're bothered that much, if they're bothered that much, it's like the Monsignor passing in front of the transvestites. They couldn't remain quiet. They had to mock. Hmm. They had to mock, right? The same thing I see happening here. This is a good sign. This is a good sign that all of these people who are not necessarily great and good people are upset by this. If a man is known by his friends, John Henry, if you can know a man by his friends, doesn't it stand to reason that you can know him by his enemies? Hmm. Amazing, Father. Father, I want to thank you so much for being with us on the John Henry Weston Show. I, I really want you to come back because there's actually tons more to cover. I have way more questions for you. First of all, are you going to come back on? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Excellent. If, your, your, your tolerance level is remarkable. Well, <laughs> you, well, you know what? I know my audience is going to be totally fascinated. Murder in the 33rd Degree. Folks, go out and get that book. It is eye-opening and that is exactly the education that we need to know where we came from in the last little while in the church, why we're here. And I really do want to get from you, Father, perhaps in the next show, but how do you think this is actually going to come to a conclusion? Because it's unbelievable right now. But uh, again, would, thank would, you. Yeah. And you know what? Can you close, Father, with giving us all a blessing? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Dominus vobiscum. Et cum spiritu tuo. Benedictio de omnipotente, Patris, Filius, Spiritus Santos, Genit super vos, et manit in eternum. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Henry. God bless you, Father. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time.